I'm Mary Ambrose, and this is the CG Podcast. The North American Free Trade Agreement, better known as NAFTA, is one of the world's largest free trade zones, and now it's being renegotiated. NAFTA covers auto parts, reduced tariffs on textiles, lots of other trade issues, but it doesn't mention online shopping because when NAFTA was created in 1994, there was no online shopping. A year after the ink was dry on the NAFTA agreement, Amazon started shipping books. You've probably done online shopping with an American retailer, and you know that even if the American and Canadian dollar is at par, Canadians pay more than someone buying the same item in the U.S. If the tea set you ordered on eBay or the sweater you ordered for your dad's birthday comes across the border from the U.S., you pay more. Now that's pretty easy stuff. But what about the private information that you have to hand over that is a necessary part of any online shopping experience? Thousands of Canadians and millions of Americans had their personal information stolen from the credit monitoring company Equifax. The hackers were based in the US, but really, that's not much consolation. So will e-commerce security get into the NAFTA discussion and will they address it? I wanted to ask Patrick LeBlond. Patrick LeBlond is a senior fellow at CG with the Global Economy Program, but more importantly for this discussion, he specializes in the investigation of international trade like NAFTA. He's written about this, he's thought about this, and he's with me. Hi, Patrick. Uh, hi, Mary. I've read that NAFTA is ready to take on e-commerce. Some say digital trade is one part of the trade agreement that the U.S. is hoping to liberalize. Now, you've written that you don't think they're serious. Why not? Well, I think they're not serious in the sense of the broader NAFTA agreement. Uh, I think in terms of e-commerce, there is definitely a willingness by the U.S. administration uh, to uh, modernize NAFTA in terms of having a, 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 an e-commerce uh, chapter. I think the issue is much more the, the Trump rhetoric that we've heard about uh, pulling out of NAFTA, of NAFTA not being a good enough agreement. Well, the U.S. has already asked that the limit that can be imported to Canada duty-free should be raised from $20 to 800 which is what it is in the U.S. Now, Mexico and Canada are balking at that. Why? Well, I think the, it's as a result of pressures uh, from uh, retailers in Canada, and I would suppose the, the same thing in Mexico, uh, where there are fears that uh, if uh, Canadians can buy more goods uh, from the United States without having uh, to pay these, these duties uh, at the border, uh, a little bit the same when uh, we, 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 craw- we come back by plane or by car uh, from the U.S. or from abroad into Canada, uh, we always have an exemption. Now, that exemption has been increased. Uh, to over $800 uh, if you've been abroad for uh, more than uh, than a few days. Uh, so it's the same logic, except that now it is $20, as you mentioned. And uh, retailers on, on this side of the border, that, that, which, ha- which have uh, physical presence, uh, are afraid that uh, they will lose out even more to online sales, uh, to uh, competitors, online competitors, and especially those in the U.S. where prices might actually be lower. Well... We're still going to be doing online shopping, even if it's for $15 worth of stuff. What about the protection of 
our privacy in these transactions? Well, privacy is, is a huge issue, as, as, as we've seen, uh, in terms of potentially having information uh, stolen, hacked, also in terms of governments uh, using them. We know uh, in China, for instance, uh, where the government is, requires that companies actually locate uh, or keep all their data uh, on servers in China and, and, and make the, the information readily available to the Chinese government. And, and the Chinese government uses the reason of, of security and, and, and political political stability uh, to use that private information. But as we know, sometimes it has led to uh, witch hunts and, and, and people ending up in jail for what they had written against the, the, the Communist Party or the government. Uh, so there are fears that this could be the same here. Uh, we saw similar fears uh, in the U.S. after the 9-11 attacks in, in the 2000s uh, with the Patriot Act, uh, where there were fears that uh, informa- online information could be used uh, to try to track terrorists, but sometimes with that information be used in a way in an overzealous way uh, where people's privacy could uh, could be at risk and 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 that's really the the main concerns that that people have when it comes to uh, their private information being available in an electronic form absolutely that's exactly what they worry about Patrick is the vulnerability of people hacking your money and your identity and all that stuff it would seem that it would make sense to me that you would want to keep it in the country China's obviously abusing that as you say but um, what other protections could we come up with that would make people less vulnerable? Well, that, that, in a way, that's a challenge, right? So on the one hand, uh, we would want uh, for consumers to have uh, free, free trade, free flow of information, uh, so that, again, if, if, if Canadians want to buy a product in the United States or from anywhere in the world, uh, they could go online and do it, uh, or if they wanted to download a movie uh, or a book, uh, it could be done, and uh, they, they have the freedom to do so, and they can find the best price uh, for, for the product or service that they're looking for. That, that, so that's really what, in a way, uh, free e-commerce or free digital trade is all about. On the other hand, if governments uh, impose constraints to firms uh, doing on, on digital trade, for example, uh, forcing companies to locate their servers in, in a particular country, well, of course, these are co- more costly. It, it adds transaction costs uh, for those companies, and uh, it means that ultimately they, they, there is less free digital trade. And, and and it's kind of finding the balance between having the lowest price, the easiest access to, to products and services online with the need for governments to ensure security, uh, at a minimum to ensure people that people's private data uh, are secured and uh, to some extent also prevent uh, potentially governments from abusing that information uh, against their own citizens or even foreigners for that matter. Do you think it's possible? I know that the... Uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP, which was another trade agreement that was seemed to be prepared to tackle this issue around digital trading is, you know, that's not going to happen. But do you think there was anything in that agreement that could be used as a basis for discussion around how to make it possible to have open international digital shopping without putting people at risk? 
Uh, yes. Uh, first, I, I would like to say that uh, the TPP is still alive. Uh, the other 11 members uh, are actually trying to uh, conclude the agreement and move forward without the United States uh, as a result of Mr. Trump pulling out of the agreement. So it's, it is still alive. Uh, but in the context of, uh, of NAFTA, we don't have confirmation of this, but we can uh, suspect that uh, the, the TPP's chapter on e-commerce uh, is probably the basis on which uh, the negotiations for a new e-commerce or digital trade chapter in NAFTA uh, are based on because uh, Canada, the U.S., and Mexico had all signed on uh, to the, the TPP. So it kind of makes sense that that would be the, the, the departure. And also because the TPP was uh, offered in a way that the most advanced uh, chapter when it comes to free trade in, in e-commerce. Patrick, you floated the idea of a digital free trade zone. Now, I immediately think that sounds like Mr. Amazon and Mr. Google would be in charge. Am I wrong to be that apprehensive? Uh, no, you're not. Uh, certainly, if we had a, a global digital uh, free trade zone, uh, there is a danger that uh, it could be dominated by large companies uh, like Facebook, uh, Amazon, uh, even Google, Apple, uh, all these 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 major uh, internet and, and digital companies uh, that we know today. On the uh, in China, you, you have companies like Alibaba and Tencent um, that are also uh, the equivalent in a way of of the Facebooks and Googles and Amazons um, there. And 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 certainly scale and the access to data uh, allows these players to 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 dominate and sometimes actually abuse their position as as we've seen. Um, um, nevertheless, uh, aspiring to having, um, in a way, more free trade in, in, in terms of, of digital trade, whether it's products or services and, and data, ultimately, uh, is, is, would be good for uh, you know, the global economy. But that doesn't mean when we mean free that it's you know, completely free and anything goes and, and then you know, the, basically a winner-takes-all kind of approach. Uh, it would have to be accompanied by uh, very clear rules in terms of competition, so to ensure that in markets um, there are uh, enough competitors that if, if some companies are dominant and if they are abusing their dominant position, then uh, they should be fined uh, as a result, potentially, they, they could even be dismantled uh, if, if they become too big and, and they might have to uh, get rid of, of, of some of the, uh, the, the services or the subsidiaries that they have. Uh, so we, we would need uh, that kind of approach uh, at the same time as we would need standards in terms of uh, you know, what is legitimate uh, privacy protection for, you know, security reasons? Uh, uh, when is it legitimate for a government to say, no, we want to have access to the data, we want uh, the, the data to be localized in, uh, in, uh, in our territory, um, so that there are very clear rules. And, and, and the idea of a sort of digital uh, free trade zone globally is that uh, for, for, for these things to happen, uh, we need global standards. Uh, if the Chinese go and, and, and push for their own vision or their own free trade zone, then you know, they, they will create one that it will not necessarily be compatible with, let's say, a, a European, North American uh, free trade zone. Um, so if we really want to increase competition, if we want uh, to make sure that, that people all over the world can, can get the best services, the best products from, from anywhere, and the same for companies uh, to be able to get uh, products and services for their own production or 
or to be able to sell them across the world. Uh, we, we know that uh, that's, some people are actually doing that you know, from their basements and then they run global companies as a result of digital trade. So we want to allow for this, but we want to make sure that we put in, in a way, the, the, the proper rules that will uh, preserve this, this trade, uh, make it as free as possible, but not in the sense that uh, you have this sort of winner-takes-all approach and, and end result, uh, in which case then you know, everyone will lose except the, the winner. <laughs> so, Patrick, let me ask you this. If we use TPP as a basis for dealing with digital shopping, if we create a fabulous digital trading zone, do you think that, A, that's possible, and B, would that be enough of a counterweight to the way that China is dealing with digital shopping? It's a challenge, uh, certainly to uh, to have I mean, the Americans, the Canadians, Mexicans, Europeans, and uh, other Asian countries, those involved in the TPP, uh, to agree on on common standards, on common um, in a way uh, digital uh, trade rules. Um, is, is a challenge. Uh, we're already seeing it now where, you know, the, there's NAFTA on the one hand, there's the EU on the other, then there's the TPP. Uh, it would be great if we could all bring it together. Uh, we would have to ensure, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, we have very clear rules as to uh, how this, this digital uh, free, free trade or free market uh, would work in terms of allowing for sufficient competition, for potentially the sharing of data, uh, which is now becoming, in a way, the raw material uh, for a lot of um, online and digital operations. Uh, we would have to make sure that uh, there are enough safeguards uh, to protect uh, you know, country's security, people's privacy, at the same time ensuring that those are not used for protectionist reasons. Uh, so you would have to have uh, you know, a, a dispute settlement mechanisms that with, with independent panels that, that uh, could look at this and say, no, in this case, this, uh, this exception actually is more of a protectionist nature. But on the other hand, this one is actually allowable because, yes, uh, it, it, it allows for more uh, security in, in a given country, for instance, or protecting people's privacy. So that's the, the, the challenge on the one hand. When it comes so to... So it, it would be very hard to do. Let, uh, it would admit. be very hard to do, uh, but at, at the same time, it would create a huge counterpoint uh, to, uh, to China and what China is doing, because currently China is using, in a way, the, the size of, of its market economy and the fact that it's been able to leapfrog some technologies uh, that, as a result of its development, uh, so it, it, we we would have a counterweight, uh, uh, in fact, of, of you know, probably even bigger in terms of population, in terms of, of the wealth of these these economies to the Chinese. And then, you know, could we use that to to either impose our rules on the Chinese potentially if they wanted to, you know, trade with us, if we can put it like that, uh, or at least uh, come to a negotiating table and say, okay, how can we have this digital uh, trade uh, zone, and, and how can we work together with uh, with similar rules? But uh, obviously, there, there are huge challenges even to get there among, if you want, uh, Western countries, uh, let alone uh, involving the Chinese. But I think this is where we, we need to go because otherwise uh, we're just going to end up with a very fragmented digital market around the world. Do you think NAFTA is a possibility that we could actually start dealing with e-commerce and the rules and protections that they involve within NAFTA? I'm not going to make you put any money on this. I'm just asking for your guess. I think, yes, we can. If 
the White House uh, recognizes uh, that uh, NAFTA is, is overall good for the U.S. economy, and we've seen a lot of uh, different groups supporting NAFTA. Uh, if Mr. Trump can abandon his uh, 19th century vision of trade as being something that, you know, exports are good, imports are bad, we can get there. And within that, I would say probably the e-commerce component is, is, is maybe the, the most important component of a modernized NAFTA. Uh, it wasn't there when NAFTA was first negotiated, when it came into force, you know, 25 years later, it needs to be in there. Uh, so I'm hopeful that we can get to a, a NAFTA 2.0 agreement. And certainly if we do get there, uh, there will be a, a, an important uh, e-commerce chapter that hopefully uh, will serve as, as a, a, an example uh, in terms of best standards for the rest of the world. It's always nice to talk to an optimist. Thank you very much. <laughs> it was a pleasure, Mayor. <laughs> Patrick LeBlond is a senior fellow at CG and an expert in global economic governance, business, and public policy. You can find articles by Patrick, a great little video, and our other podcasts on our website, which is CG Online, one word, C-I-G-I-O-N-L-I-N-E dot org. CG is the Center for International Governance, Innovation, and Independent Nonpartisan Think Tank. I'm Mary Ambrose.